My name is Lowell, and I'm the lead pastor here at Center Point, and glad you're here with us this morning. I tell you, last week was a great week. I trust um, that the Lord used it in your life. It was uh, had a great Christmas Eve service, candlelight service. That was a real joy, and um, just just taking this season to celebrate the reality that God loved us so much that He was willing to take on flesh, come to the earth, and and lay his life down in our place. It was a great, uh, great season, and, and it's not done. It's not done. This morning, what I want to do is um, I want to focus on something that, that we probably don't talk a lot about, but we should. And that is the topic of eternal rewards. I want to deal with that this morning because, uh, well, I had several, several thoughts, um, First of all, I, I thought, you know, some of us are, are serving the Lord, and, and it can get tiring. It can get to be a lot, okay? And I wanted to be an encouragement to you. Um, some of us are, are getting older, okay? And, and you, you, feel, you feel the effect in your body. And your eternity is getting closer. And I wanted to be an encouragement to you. But there are some people in our church, in the American church, who I think have a wrong idea about what heaven is going to include. And there's an absence in our teaching. There's an absence in our understanding of what God has to say to us about eternal rewards. We don't talk enough about it. And as one of the shepherds here at Centerpoint, I have, I've recognized that, that, that there's a void there. And so for our good, and actually this is one of those times where I want to say, for your good, as, a, as one of the shepherds here, I want to inform you of a very important part of your eternity Because I want to have the joy one day when we are all with the Lord. I want to have the joy with you to see you experience a great commendation from the Lord. But I think in our absence of discussing eternal rewards, we don't really understand this part of of theology. So let's go to the Lord in prayer, and then you're going to need to turn your Bible to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, and be prepared to go quickly um, through 10 frequently asked questions that you may never have thought to ask about eternal rewards, and see what the Lord has to say to us about that. Let's go to the Lord. Father in heaven, Lord, thank you for this time we can be together. I pray, Lord, for your strength. I pray, Lord, for the ability to communicate clearly. Lord, I, I just pray that you would sustain us, both as as a speaker and as a listener, Lord, that you would allow us to um, hear and to see what it is that you have for us. Lord, we love you and we thank you for your work in our life. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Second Corinthians chapter 5 um, is where we're going to be today. You're going to be all through your Bible. One of the things I want to do is I want to overwhelm you this morning with the truth that God has much to say about eternal rewards. 
In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, in verse number 1, Paul says this, For we know that if the tent that is our earthly home is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this tent we groan. Paul here is using the word tent as a metaphor for our body. And he's saying that this tent that we live in is being destroyed. It's, it's fading away and it groans. Do you understand that? Every time I walk up the stairs now, there's this click that happens in my heel. It just kind of happened a couple years ago. And now you, I cannot sneak up on anybody to rob them or anything because I click the whole time. You know, it's like click, click, click. My, I'm like the tin man. You know, my ankles now make this strange noise. It's a groaning. Just this last week, I, like you, spent a lot of time with family. Some of my nephews now who, who are now, they're in their 30s. And they talk about times when I was in my 20s and we would wrestle. And they, they talk about me wrestling them and, you know, all these moves I would put on them. And I'm sitting there thinking, if I tried to wrestle you now, I'd probably be in an ER for, for a couple days. I, there's no way I could do that. Our bodies are breaking down. In a lot of ways, this last year for me has been a real challenging year physically. I've seen myself as a pretty healthy person, but this last year, I've gone through two physical, two surgeries, and and just had a lot of time on my back, and it's just been like, it's groaning. And I use my example, but I know every one of us have groanings in our lives, in our body, and not just in our body. Some of you have family issues. You have a sibling or a child or a spouse that has strayed or betrayed you. And you groan over these things. Or some of us even have ministry challenges. The challenges are great in this tent. And, and some of you, are, are, you serve regularly. And you give. And you invest And when you're in the midst of all these challenges, be it physical or family or ministry or whatever it might be, okay, I'm not, that's not an exhaustive list. I'm just trying to use some examples to get you in the right frame with Ryan. Sometimes it can feel like everyone else is so carefree. Everyone else is just so serene for them. They've got it so easy. I'm just slaving away. I'm just going through these challenges. My family is difficult. My life is difficult. I'm getting up doing ministry and it's difficult. And everybody else seems to have everything so carefree. Listen, Paul understood that. He understood that. And I want to be an encouragement to you. Verse number six of chapter five. I want to be an encouragement to you. So we are always of good courage. Don't give up is what I want to say to you today. The apostle Peter understood this. You want to take time to turn there, but Matthew chapter 19. I'll just fill you in on the details. In Matthew chapter 19, Jesus is talking with the rich young ruler. Remember the rich guy? Okay, he comes to Jesus. What must I do to inherit eternal life? What's Jesus telling him? says, well, go sell everything you have and give it to the poor. It shocks everybody. Even Peter. So Peter pulls Jesus to the side. Okay, now I'll read it for you. And Peter says to Jesus, 
See? We have left everything and followed you. What then will we have? Hear Peter's question. I've left everything to follow you. You say, you told this guy, sell everything, give it to the poor. I've done that, Peter's saying. I've left it all. I've sacrificed. I've, I've had challenges. My tent is groaning and I'm not quitting. This is what Jesus says. Truly I say to you, in the new world, when the Son of Man will sit on his glorious throne, you who have followed me will also sit on 12 thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel. And everyone, verse 29 of Matthew 19, hear this. Everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or lands, for my name's sake, will receive a hundredfold and will inherit eternal life. You guys, God has in store for his children for his heaven-bound children who follow him faithfully, who serve him, who are his faithful followers, he has reward for you. He does. And it is more than heaven. It is more than heaven. I gave you a whole list. I, I wanted to overwhelm you that this is not just Lowell's thoughts. Look at the right-hand side of your worship notes. Every single biblical author deals with eternal rewards, except for Jude. I can't find where Jude mentions it in his 25 verses, okay? But every other author talks about eternal rewards. Listen to what the author of Hebrews says. I didn't, I didn't give you this reference. I forgot to put someone on there. Hebrews chapter 6, verse number 10. For God is not unjust so as to overlook your work and the love that you have shown for his name in serving the saints. God is not unjust. He's not going to forget what you have done to serve him. He's going to respond to that and going to bring you, as you faithfully serve, eternal rewards. See, I think a lot of us, what here's, here's what we've done. Here's what we've done. We have... We have taken from Scripture what God wanted, we've, we've taken away what God wanted us to understand. And so all the passages where it talks about eternal rewards, here's what we do. We think, well, heaven's going to be great. And that's what, that's what the Bible means. It just means that heaven is going to just be so great that it's calling it an eternal reward. And it's calling it a special crown because it's going to be just so wonderful. And in many respects, I, I, I would not disagree with you. But that is not complete. So let's walk through ten questions. Okay? Number one. Are there special rewards in heaven? You better believe it. Second Corinthians chapter 5. Let's read verses 6 through 10 and then talk, this, talk about this a little bit. Paul writes, so we are of good courage. We know that while we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. For we walk by faith, not by sight. Yes, we are of good courage. And we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. He says, I'd rather be in heaven. Why is that? So whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim. That is the word ambition. Paul was a man of ambition. 
Ambition is seen as a negative thing. Paul was a man of ambition. We make it our ambition to please Christ. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. So that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. Now listen, you got to hear me on this because there is a lot of places to misunderstand this text. And I'm really hoping that in the next 30 minutes that we can, we can take this apart and understand it. Paul here in verse number, uh, let's see, verse number 10. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. He uses a word here that to us, we don't understand what it means. It's translated judgment here. And when we think of judgment, we have the idea of, of somebody standing over you and deciding good or bad, good or bad. And there's many respects where that's the, that's the case. But in our culture, judgment has come to mean harshness or, or duplicity, assigning a label, Phariseeism. And we recognize that, that judgment is before God seems like a very negative thing. Like God's going to tell us what wrong we have done. But that is a misunderstanding of this word. And for the hearers in Corinth, when Paul said this, he did not say the judgment seat of Christ. Because he spoke in Greek. We're reading English. He said the bema seat of Christ. Now I know that doesn't mean anything to us, but let me explain it to you. You know what the Olympics are, right? Well, the Greeks actually had four sets of games. They had the Olympics, which were in the the city of Olympia. But then they had the Isthmian games that was in Corinth. Paul's writing to Corinth. This was held every other year. In Corinth, they had these Isthmian games. Running, throwing, wrestling, boxing, all that kind of stuff. Here's what would happen. The athletes would train, just like our, our, our Olympians do. They would train and they would compete in these games. And when they win, when they were the winner, they'd be brought to the Bema seat. The Bema seat. And at the Bema seat, they would be awarded because they had won the race. At the Bema seat, they receive this award. They received something that, that doesn't really mean much to us, okay? It seems strange to us. It was a wreath, okay, that they'd placed on their head. Now, that's, I know that seems weird to us, but how strange is it that our Olympians get a gold medal on a, on a ribbon, right? How strange is it that the WWF gets a big belt, you know? I mean, that's really weird, right? But in the, they would get, a, it's called a brabeon, is what it was. And it was a wreath they would place on their head. Listen to Philippians chapter 3, verse number 14. Okay, Philippians 3, 14. Listen to this. I press on towards the goal for the brabion of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Did you hear that? Let me read it to you in English. I press on towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. But Paul didn't say prize. He said brabion. This award that is given. yes. There are eternal rewards. They will be real, these awards. They will be eternal. They will be valuable. They'll be based upon your few short years on earth. Let's keep going. Got to go quick. Do eternal rewards contradict grace? Now, that's a great question. 
Do they contradict grace? And the answer is no. There's two judgments talked about in the Bible that we will one day stand before, that people will one day stand before the Lord. There are two judgments. One is often called the Bema Seat of Christ. Do you know where that's found? 2 Corinthians 5, okay? That's the Bema Seat of Christ. But then there is the great white throne judgment. Two judgments. Two judgments. Let's see here. I think I might have a slide for this. And I can find it. There, I think it might work. Did it work? There it is. The judgment seat of Christ and the great white throne judgment. They're separated by a thousand years. The great white throne judgment described in Revelation chapter 20. It's a awe-inspiring, horrendous moment in time. Every single non-believer of all time will be resurrected from the grave. And they will receive a resurrection body. They are in the grave now, but they will inhale again. (sighs) Come back to life. And they will be brought before the Lord Jesus Christ at the great white throne. Every single person who stands at the great white throne, their future destiny is set. Everyone at the great white throne judgment has the same destiny. I trust that you will not be there. The Bible describes books that are opened. I don't know what's in these books. I believe it is the, the, the reflection of the person's life and they see how much accountability they had, how much truth they were exposed to. Lord Jesus will stand before them in all of his glory. In Philippians chapter 2, they will bow their knee and they will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord and then they will be cast into the lake of fire. That is the great white throne judgment. And so when we hear judgment seat of Christ, we bring that image to our mind. But that's a separate judgment. That's a separate judgment. This is the great white throne, all unbelievers of all time. This is the judgment seat, the bema seat of Christ. All believers will come before him. It's not a violation of grace. You're only there at the bema seat because of God's grace. You're only there because of God's grace. Listen to what Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse number 10. 1510, 1 Corinthians, Paul said, I worked harder than anyone else, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. Mm. See, justification is by faith. Justification is by faith. But commendation is through faithfulness. Commendation. You ever been to a commencement ceremony? You probably didn't call it that. You probably called it a graduation ceremony, right? At the commencement of a loved one. Everyone there, everyone there is getting a diploma, right? Everyone that's in this, they're all getting a diploma. But a few walk up front and they put a big tassel around their neck, right? 
because they were whatever. You know, they were the top ten of the class, or they were National Honor Society, or they excelled in the FFA, or whatever. And they're commended for their faithfulness. Listen, folks, there's going to be a day where you're going to stand before the Lord. If you're in, well, everyone's going to stand before the Lord. But if you're in Christ, you will stand before him. It's not a violation of grace. Is it okay for me, question number three, is it okay for me to desire eternal rewards? Yes, it is. It is. Paul says this is one of the reasons, if you look at it there, this is what he's trying to bring them courage in verse number six. We know that while we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. He wants to be with the Lord. He wants to be with him. And then he goes into this discussion of the beam of seat. It's one of the reasons why we want to be with the Lord. To be commended. Jesus spoke of eternal rewards over and over and over. God, throughout his word, spoke of eternal rewards. If we're wrong to long for eternal rewards, then God is tempting us to sin. Because he uses it to motivate us all the time. He uses it to motivate us all the time. Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Over and over and over, we see this. In Luke chapter 14, I'll give you an example of this. In Luke chapter 14, you can turn there if you want to or just, just listen. <clears throat> Jesus is instructing his, those that are listening to him. There's a mixed group here, some believers, some non-believers. He says, when you give a dinner for a banquet, do not invite just your friends or your brothers, your relatives or rich neighbors, lest they invite you in return and you be repaid. But when you give a feast, now listen to this. Invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you. For you will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. There's coming eternal reward. Don't quit. Don't grow tired. Don't give up. Get in the race. I remember my commencement ceremony in high school. I graduated barely, okay? I was one of those students. It's a good solid C, man, all the time, right? What do I do to get a C? That was me. It changed in time, but that's who I was then. I remember being at my graduation ceremony. Some of this is my pride, okay? But I remember sitting there and watching these people go up front and be commended. There was regret in my heart. There was regret because I knew I could have done much better. I was still graduating, but there was regret. At the beam of seat of Christ, there will be regret. Let me show it to you. Turn back a couple pages to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Go back to 1. I do need you to turn here. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Here Paul also is talking about this Bema seat of Christ. I want you to see what he says here. <clears throat> First Corinthians chapter 3. He's, he's discussing this, this dynamic. In verse number 12 of chapter 3, he says this. Now if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw. Now Paul here is using the church... The, the believing body, he's using an illustration for that, of a building. 
Some are building with gold and silver and precious stones. Others, wood, hay, and straw. It's like the three pigs, you know? So we got wood, hay, straw, we got brick. Some, and, and, and some are building with different materials. Verse 13. Each one's work will become manifest. That is to be revealed. In verse number 13, chapter 3, 1 Corinthians. Each one's work will become manifest for the day. The Bema Seat. For the day will disclose it, because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will have a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, why? Why would it be burned up? Because it's made of hay, wood, stubble. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. Do you picture the house that's on flames in the middle of the night? You wake up, you're in your boxer shorts, ah, the house is on fire, and you run out the door. And inside are all the things that you belong to you. All of your belongings inside, engulfed in flames and gone. And you say, oh, thank the Lord, I'm safe. But all that I had, it's burned up. Let me say this about that moment, and we're going to... I hope you're going to see this develop more as we go through our 10 questions. When we're with the Lord, when the Bema Seed happens, we'll talk about when it's going to happen in a minute. I want you to know there'll be no envy. There'll be no boasting. There'll be no envy. There'll be no boasting. You're not going to look at somebody else and think, oh, wish I'd have got that wreath. That won't happen. You know Why? Your sin nature will be gone. It'll be gone. You won't have this temptation to envy or to boast. Secondly, you are going to know fully. And it will be absolutely just. It will be just before the Lord. And you will know completely. You'll say, it makes perfect sense that they receive this wreath. It makes perfect God is worthy. And it makes perfect sense that I did not. My motive wasn't right. I wasn't serving the Lord faithfully. It makes perfect sense to me. So I have no envy. I have no boast. So let's go to the next question. Are rewards in heaven based on my works? Mm, now we're getting... Da- are, anti- are, are alarm flags raising in your heart? Works! Whoa, works! Because the answer is Yes. They are. The eternal rewards that the Bible talks about are based upon works. Now, I understand why you're feeling a little bit of apprehension. We're justified by faith alone. That is what the Reformation was completely about, and we understand that. But Paul here says, notice what he says back in the second reading, chapter 5. For we must all appear before the judgment seat on verse number 10. We must all appear before the Bema seat of Christ so each one may receive what he is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. What we do in the body, whether good or evil. Now we understand good. Good means to be noble and excellent. And we'll describe how that, how that is evaluated in just a few moments. But the word evil is a little bit, again, this is a place where you can really misunderstand the text. I regret that this word has been translated evil. It's not the word evil that you know. It's only used six times in your New Testament. 
And it's translated in a variety of different ways. It's translated evil. It's also translated vile. It's also translated empty. Here's what this word evil means. This is not a word that you use to describe Satan and hell and a sinner. That's not what this word means. It means empty. It means a veneer is what it means. You know what veneer is, right? That's when you have a cheap piece of wood and you take this little thin little stuff, like maybe an eighth of an inch, and you put it on top of the cheap piece of plywood and now it looks like oak. But the truth is, all you got to do is just drop a plate onto that and the veneer chips and you see the ugly plywood underneath. I know veneer well. Most of my furniture is covered with it. So that's what this word is. That's what it is. Paul says, some of your works are good. They're the real thing. But some are simply veneer. But it is based upon my works. Let's deal with this. What about the fire? What about the fire, Low? Fire always means hell. Fire equals hell. No, it doesn't. No, it doesn't. Fire here is about refinement. Fire here is about taking away the thing that is vile. Taking away the veneer. When you put the flame to the table, in my illustration, the veneer is gone. And you're left with what's underneath. Fire doesn't mean hell. It means strip away the veneer. And it will happen at the beam of seat. So how will I be evaluated? Okay, let's go back to our passage. 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians chapter, is, chapter 5, verse 9 and 10. Look what he says. So whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim, our ambition, to please Christ. How we be evaluated? Whether or not we please Christ. That's the evaluation. Now, I'm going, to, I'm, going to, I'm going to expand on that a little bit, but you need to see that is what is going to be evaluated at the Bema seat of Christ. We appear there, and the question is, what I did as a believer now, did it please Christ? So I want to inform you, as, as the body of center point, what it is that pleases Christ. Because I want to see you at the Bema seat. I want to see you. I believe this is going to be a public affair. All right? I think it's going to be a a huge commencement. And all believers of all time are going to be there. And our hands, if they could, are going to hurt from applauding. And we're not even going to be applauding the people. We're going to be applauding Christ. For what he did with stinking, empty people like us. And we're going to say, you're worthy, you're worthy, you're worthy, Jesus. But what's he going to evaluate? Paul went to great effort to communicate this. We're going to walk through it now. Go back to 1 Corinthians. You see, Paul's writing to the church in Corinth that's a mess. It's a mess. He's trying to encourage the solid believers. The ones who aren't veneer. And saying, you keep on keeping on. Don't you quit. Keep on keeping on. I know you're tired. I know you feel like you're the only one. I know you're exhausted, but you keep going. Keep going. And so in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, he's going to give us the first thing that shows us what's going to be evaluated. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse number 1. 
He says, this is how one should regard us as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it is required of stewards that they be found faithful. Faithful. How will our work be evaluated? Measurement number one, and this is not an exhaustive list. Were we faithful? Now, we take some time and talk about what that means. Faithful means... It means making the most of every opportunity. It means doing what God has led us to do through his word and through his spirit. Faithfulness means investing in God's kingdom. Faithfulness means knowing what God has called us to do in his word. To love him and to love other people. And then to find and to seek out and to respond to opportunities to invest in that kingdom. Folks, this is why we say to you, minister with our children, teach our adults, set up chairs, give. This is why. This is why. We're trying to fan the flame of faithfulness. Burn, burn, baby, burn. This is what we're trying to do in hearts. It's not when it's right. When it's right in the shepherd's heart. It's not because I want you to do a job for me. It's not because it's easier for 30 people to set up chairs than me and my family. That's not the reason. I'm not saying there aren't times that that doesn't come into my heart because you know what? I'm a sinner too. But in reality, your shepherds, your, your teachers, your deacons, your, your mentors are fanning the flame of faithfulness. Don't you quit. Because one day you're going to stand before the Lord. He's going to reward you. And it's going to be a lovely moment. It's going to be the best moment of your life. Faithfulness. Secondly, verse number five, same chapter. Look what he says. Therefore, do not pronounce judgment before the time. Before the Lord comes. See, that's when this judgment's going to happen, when he comes. Who will bring to light the things now hidden in darkness and will disclose the purposes of the heart. Second element of this evaluation, are we pleasing Christ? Motive. Motive. Why am I serving? Why am I investing? The right reason for this is because I love God and he's put a love in my heart for other people. And so I invest in what he's doing because I want to be like him. Motive. Now there can be some ugly motives, right? I'm going to tell you, many preachers that come up front and preached because they like people to look at them. They like the, their, their flesh likes to be fed with attaboys, good job. Nice sermon. It's not just preachers that deal with this. So do teachers. So do dads. So do moms. So do deacons. So do coffee makers and cookie bakers and chair setter uppers. Motive matters to God. It matters to him. Things done for a motive other than to please Christ will burn. The veneer. 
the veneer. So guard your motive. The last one that I that and it's not this is not an exhaustive list, but you know, I've got to draw a line somewhere. Go to First Corinthians chapter nine. Let me show you this one. This one is very important. And, and all of these only you really know. Only you really know. But please hear this one. First Corinthians chapter nine, verse number twenty four, twenty five. Paul writes, Do you not know? By the way, remember the Isthmus games, okay? Do you not know that in a race all the runners run? There it is. But only one receives the bravion. That's that, that's that word, okay? Only one receives the prize. So run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath or crown. But we, an imperishable. The third thing that I want to just point out here is that we please Christ when we serve him with righteousness. Practical righteousness. So this means we we honor God with our life and our words and our thoughts while we're serving him. While we're serving him. It, it, It really breaks my heart that a person can serve the Lord and their motive can be okay, and they can be responding in faithfulness, but they can be slipping up in righteousness, and God says, burn it up. This is how it looks. This is how it looks. Setting up chairs. Setting up those chairs. Now, I want to describe for you how I've felt. I'm not talking about anybody in this room. So I'm talking about me, not you. Setting up those chairs. Why anybody else here doing this? It's just me. I can't believe these people. Where are they? That's not running the race according to the rules. That's gossip. That's, that's thinking hateful thoughts towards your brothers, towards the Lamb. Of God. The, I'm sorry, the, the sheep of God's. That's, that's not righteousness. Guard against gossip servants. Guard against judging other people's motives servants. Guard against a boastful heart that says, nobody else serves like me. Guard. That's not running According to the race, to the rules of the race. And that burns. I'm not saying this to you to hurt you. I'm not saying it to myself to hurt me. I'm saying it to fan the flame. Let's keep going. What rewards are described? Okay, now this is really interesting, and I'm going to completely run out of time, but that's okay because you've got lots of verses you can look at on your own. Um, as I read the Bible, the, the rewards are, are divided into two categories, okay? They are what's called rewards and, called, and what's called crowns. You have rewards and crowns, okay? Rewards, you can find these in places like Matthew chapter 6, verse number 20. Store it for yourselves, treasures in heaven, okay? These are, these are general rewards that are given to God's children who, who serve him faithfully, who serve him with good motives, who's serving with righteousness, these general rewards. 
See, it's 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse number 11, that we reign with, that those who are faithful will reign with him. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse number 7 says that, that those who, who experience this judgment fire now on our works will receive praise, glory, and honor. That's about believers. Praise, glory, and honor. So there's a general category of rewards. But then there is this specialized category. And I do want to take a moment and talk about this because nobody ever does. Okay? So just bear with me. They're called crowns. The word crown is the Greek word Stephan, Stephen. Interesting. It's the word crown. It's used 17 times in your Bible. Okay? 17 times in your Bible. Four of which it speaks of Jesus' crown of thorns. Four of which it speaks of God's, Jesus' crown in heaven. But the rest of the nine times the word crown is used, it's speaking about believers. A select group of believers. No envy, no boast, it's just. Let me describe it. First of all, in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse number 25, Paul says that these crowns are imperishable. The wreath that's placed on the athlete's head will rot. But these are imperishable crowns. So this is a reward, a special reward that God gives to some of his children that will last for eternity now. No envy, no boast, because no sin. And completely just. We will take these crowns in Revelation chapter 4, I believe, and cast them at Jesus' feet. So they will be given in worship. We will say, God, you are worthy. Jesus, you are worthy. But it's imperishable. So I don't know whether we pick it back up or what. I don't know. But we will use these in worship. I remember when God prodded my family to give in the offering. I remember. The offering plate would go around and we would just stand there for, for years, you know, and just pass the plate like everybody else and drop nothing in. And I remember feeling like, I'm not, get, I'm not getting the opportunity to give. Listen, when you don't give, it hurts, especially when we're in our, when we're in our resurrected bodies. Let me describe the four crowns, okay? First of all, there's what's called the crown of rejoicing. This is in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse number 19. I'm going to go quick here, okay? So just stay with me. The crown of rejoicing, 1 Thess 2, 19. This is given to people who have led people to Jesus and discipled them. Paul says, you are my crown of rejoicing to the, to the Thessalonians. I preached the gospel to you. You came to Jesus and now I've discipled you and you will be my crown of rejoicing. Lead someone to Christ and disciple them. That's what God calls us to. Second crown, called the crown of righteousness. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse number 7 and 8. Paul says he's going to be given his crown of righteousness and not only to him, I'm reading now from verse 8, not only to me, but also to all who loved his appearing. There's a crown of righteousness given to those who live their life, can't wait for Jesus to come back. I can't wait for Jesus to come back. I want him to come back. I want to be with Jesus. I'm going to live for eternity. I'm not living for here and now. I'm living for Jesus. Crown of 
Righteousness, Paul says. Crown of life in James chapter 1. James says, Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he stood the test, he received the crown of life. Revelation chapter 2 adds to this that these people are being martyred. There's a crown. There's a crown for people who are suffering for Christ. Now, not suffering with a sore toe. That's not what this is. This is suffering for Christ. Telling somebody about Jesus and they throw a rock at you. Okay? It's suffering. A crown of life. And then the last crown, 1 Peter chapter 5, verse number 4. Peter writes, and when the chief shepherd appears, you, speaking here, the shepherds, the faithful pastor teachers, the faithful people who have fed and led, you receive the unfading crown of glory. This is for a faithful under-shepherd who leads and feeds in a manner that pleases the Lord. I'm out of time, so I'll just tell you the answers. When will these words be distributed? After the rapture. Before the marriage supper of the Lamb, if that means anything to you. You read about it in Revelation chapter 19. We'll be with the Lord. A great commencement. Hmm. What will happen with these rewards? Well, we already referenced that. We're going to give them as worship. They're, they're, they're imperishable, so I don't know how we end up with them back. I don't have all the answers, but they're imperishable. So what should, how should this affect my week? I should invest. I'm going to have the praise team to come up here, and I want to close with one more illustration. I, I enjoy the Olympics. They're fun to watch. One of the things that I, I really enjoy, you might find this kind of weird, but I love the, the gymnast. Okay? That's so amazing. People like Nadia, okay, and Mary Lou Retton, and uh, Gabby, uh, whatever her name was, okay, Johnson, I think. Here's what happens. They, they go through the routine, you know, they nail the landing, and they you know, do that thing, you know, and the crowd cheers. Oh. And the judges put up their 9.9, 10, 9.9. What's the athlete do? What do they do? Did they go to the crowd and say, thank you, thank you, thank you? No. They run to one person. Who? The coach. And they go run to the coach and they just wrap around them. Ah, you mentored me. You made me into this athlete. You did this. I have honored you, coach. I have honored you. The cheers of the crowd mean nothing. They mean nothing to, to Mary Lou Retton. mean nothing to her. Her focus is the coach. That's commendation.